way. If you have your Bibles, please join me in Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2, verses 15 through 19. Haggai chapter 2, verses 15 through 19. We'll finish Haggai next week. And then I'm going to start a series on world views. So last week we looked at holiness is not transferable in most cases. There were isolated cases in the Old Testament where holiness was transferable, but in large part it was not. Being unclean, however, was much easier to do. And so the the point there that Haggai was making last week was that sin is more readily transferable than it is holiness. You think about a church. When one person sins and it sweeps through, it's possible to bring devastating consequences upon the church. We also talked about us being priests, and that was kind of an application of what Haggai was talking about. Since we're a priesthood, Peter writes, that we are offering spiritual sacrifices to God which are acceptable. So today we're looking at what I would like to call benchmark. Back when Joshua crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land, he, as they crossed, they set up memorial stones. There's 12 of these. If you count them, there are 12. But that was a benchmark moment for the nation of Israel. And it was actually a memorial set up so that the people would never forget the divine acts of God. And now as we look at the text that we're dealing with, he's telling them, okay, this is what it was like, but now from this day forward, I want this. And of course, the decimated temple still there. They had started building, getting the supplies ready to start the building. But one of the central issues that comes first and foremost as I look through this is this, not living for God, verses 15 and 16. And now Haggai writes, and it's now prophetic. Everybody knows that Haggai is speaking from God. Now then, consider from this day onward. Consider levav in the Hebrew. It means, it's twofold. It means to mount or to establish some type of marker. To mount or establish some type of marker. But it also refers to the heart. It refers to the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions. So what Haggai is telling them is, what I am getting ready to say, I want you to root it deeply. I want it to be a benchmark in your heart. I want you never to forget this moment. And of course, Haggai speaking for God because he's getting this revelation for, from God. As I thought about the New Testament and, and how we're to live our own lives, and I know sometimes people go, well, it's Old Testament, doesn't matter. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of Old Testament in the New Testament, and the ideas come over very cleanly, but inwardly. As I looked at this, I thought about, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
as we live our New Testament lives, the goal, as I understand it, is to live for God. And the only way that we can live for God is constantly reminding ourselves that this world is not, repeat, is not our final destination. We are built for the kingdom of God, and therefore, as believers, we focus on the things of God. I think in Paul, when he wrote in Philippians 4, 8, uh, he wrote this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When I look at levav in the Hebrew language, it compares to the Greek word cardia, which is the heart. So very much like us today, Haggai is saying, look, you need to get this deeply rooted in your heart. It needs to become part of who you are. That's why I like that song, Who You Are. It becomes part of you. Now he goes on to write in verse 15b, now, then consider from this day forward, and that word ma'al can also refer to something that happened before, but ultimately will come full circle and go forward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord. Now, there's two ways to interpret this. One is it was a ceremony by which, before they began work on the temple, before they began laying that uh, the altar and and the foundation. The the Masons uh, did have a ceremony. It was in the Old Testament, but it was an informal ceremony. But based on my understanding of Haggai and knowing that they had already laid the foundation, I think what he's talking about here before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, he was referring to a stone of dedication a formal cornerstone, if you will. By the way, the cornerstone uh, becomes the, the main focus of the building because if that cornerstone is off, the entire building is off. And as I looked at this, I thought for sure that this is not the informal, but the formal rendering of stone upon stone. The ultimate question is, in verse 16a, how did you fare? Haggai asked, before you laid any stones, and we've entered in a new day where you have repented of your sins in chapter 1, God has forgiven you, and from this day forward, I want you always to remember the moment that God changed your life. And by the way, God's grace is awesome. We worship a God that gives us grace that we do not deserve, grace that we cannot earn. It is simply by trusting in Christ. And so he says, how did you fare? The question was designed to make them think about what happened when they stopped work. Naturally, we think about commitments that we make. Throughout my years, people have said, well, I'm making a commitment. And I think this is a rededication on the nation of Israel's part. Uh, People will say, this day forward, I'm going to follow God. 
or God gets you out of a tough situation and you say, I promise God that I'm going to do this, that, or the other. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever made that promise to God? And how did you fare? Did you stay the course? Did you follow up? And Haggai wants them to make sure that from this day forward that they remember that cornerstone, that they remember that benchmark where God did something miraculous in their lives. And by the way, for God to alter the political landscape so that the Israelites could be delivered from Babylonian captivity into a more friendly Persian uh, government, which allowed them to go home and begin working. And remind us here just for a minute that it, the Israelites had gone home. They had laid, the, laid a foundation. They had uh, built uh, some sense the altar. And then they said, okay, now that we've got that done, let's go do our business. And some 20 years, they had been stuck in their business and had forgot God's house. So easy to do. It, it really is. It, sometimes it's better not to make a commitment than to make a commitment and not follow through. And so the Israelites here, Saul, at least God impressed upon them through the voice of Haggai that there was a problem. Now, not living for God does have consequences. It's for all of us. This is for today. Again, the argument that this is Old Testament, it's archaic, is kind of ludicrous because... Uh, actually, I'm a whole Testament Christian. A lot of my roots are found in the Old Testament when we think about creation and think about so many things. So Haggai writes this in verse 16b. This is, this is staggering. I spent some time here. When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there was but 10. Now, this is the consequences of not living for God. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. So when the nation of Israel got home, their first priority was the temple. They sort of started it, and again, they started working on their own homes, their, their paneled houses, their roofs, their lives. They, they started farming, and they forgot about one of the most central issues in their life, and that was the temple of God. So here you see the net result of that. The net result of that was what they were producing was 50%. And then the wine and the pomegranate and all of that were like 60% or 40%. So it wasn't going well. And they were missing the full blessing of God. I have thought about this and thought about this as we have gone through Haggai. When in times in our lives we are not living for him, are we, in fact, missing the full blessing of God? In other words, I know the right way to live, but I'm living the wrong way, and then I wonder why my life seems upside down and sideways and turned around. And are we, brothers and sisters, are we missing the blessings of God, the full blessings of God, because at times in our lives, we don't live for him. And Haggai's reminding them, look, 
you see this temple, you, you, see, you see this, this is what it used to look like. And don't worry, the story gets better in just a minute. But when I think about uh, not living for God, and I think about what the nation of Israel was going through, that they were only getting 50% and 40% return on their investment. Uh, I went back, and I don't know if you remember this, in uh, 1929, it was called Black Tuesday, the stock market crashed. That's when there were a rush on banks. And by the way, this day forward until 1939, our country went into a Great Depression. I remember my grandmother, Porter, talking to me about the Great Depression. She was uh, probably in her 20s. And she told me how they made it through the Great Depression quite amazing quite amazing that there was very little food there was very little money the country was in a mess and Haggai saying look 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 this is what you've done you think you're going to get a, a great crop but you're only getting half of what you normally get and when you go to the wine vat you're only getting 40 percent of what you should be getting, which is 100%. So this, uh, this wine vat, let's, let's take a look at this. So they would, they would put the grapes in here, they would stomp on them, and the juices would run down into this vat. Well, think of it this way. If you have this vat full, it would be up here. 40% would be way down here. Haggai's saying, look, look at your lives. Look at what you've invested. Is this how you really want to move going forward? Do you want to just live a so-so life? And by the way, by the way, and I wrote this down so it would be very clear for all of us. By the way, I still see the grace of God here. God could have wiped it out. Even in the midst of disobedience, these people were still getting enough to survive. But God said, I want you to thrive. And I'm not talking about health and wealth gospel here. I'm just saying that God is showing Haggai and he's telling the people that because you're not living for me, even though you still have an amount of grace, how much more could you have if you were simply to follow him? Richard Taylor makes a good point in his commentary. Conditions were so poor that the harvest was only half of what farmers normally would have expected from comparable efforts. That is, they go out, they sow, they plant, and they were expecting a much better crop. The grape harvest had also been decimated at an even greater degree. The result of that wine making productivity been reduced by an astounding 60%. Can you imagine what God would have done had when the people returned, somebody say, let's get the house of God in order first, and then we'll worry about our lives second. Because there is a connection, even in the New Testament, when we talk about giving ourselves wholly to God. 
It may not be material blessings, but I'll tell you this. Somebody living for God, they are going to be blessed upon measure. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Have you been blessed by God? Has God blessed you? That's only a question that you can ask, answer. So not living for God does have consequences, and it also leads to trouble. Wait for it. The good news is coming. Notice what Haggai writes. It wasn't the weather. It wasn't chance that their crops were failing. It wasn't uh, just because it was a really bad e uh, climate condition as they probably say, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Why are we only getting half of this? Uh, the grapes, what's up with that? We only got 40% of what we'd normally get. So they could probably reason their way to think, well, God didn't have anything to do with it. But watch what Haggai writes. I struck you. God said, I struck you and all the prophets of, uh, products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Now, struck is nika, which means to destroy. God said, I destroyed you and your products. Everything that you tried to do, I took down. The word blight is shitaphone, shitaphone, which means a plant disease. We're fighting some insects that are on our plants now, spraying them, trying to get rid of them. Mildew. The word mildew is yurikon, yurikon. And, and that is a fungus that grows in order to destroy. One of the things that I, I thought about was when Jonah built his little shelter and God sent a worm and destroyed it. Uh, wow. But still, still, this, people say, well, the God of the Old Testament... Boom, and you're done. Uh, God will take you out. And that's absolutely true in some, time, in, in, in some situations. But what I see here, I still see the grace of God. He could have taken everything away, but he gave them a measure of his grace, but not his full grace and not his full blessing. Listen to me. God can never fully bless a people that do not follow him. He can never fully bless a people that does not follow him. And the offshoot, the consequences, and the effects of all of this was this. Crop failure. For Haggai, the spiritual condition affected the physical condition. And it's the same way with us. When we are not living for God, we cannot expect God to fully bless us. And yet, we so carelessly at times in our own lives, me included, we so carelessly just kind of file our sin under the grace of God and under the cross of of Christ. Diedrich Bonhoeffer once called that cheap grace, where 
I'm going to file my life under the cross and I'll live as I please. Listen, we are no longer living life for us. We are supposed to be living life for him. And we're to be following him with our lives daily. God says, okay, I struck you down. But that's not the biggest issue. That's not the biggest issue here. Yes, it was devastating. But even in that, God gave grace. The real problem, the real problem came right here. Notice the next phrase. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight, mildew, and with hail. Here's the real central issue. This is a byproduct of something that was happening spiritually. Listen to this. And yet you did not turn to me. That's the issue. The physical was a result of a spiritual problem. Alec Motier, in his commentary, the heart of their problem was they acted, and this is so typical, their heart of the problem was that they acted as if life could be run without reference to God, as if God's grace would be theirs even though they neglected the means of that grace. For us, I, I can do this and I'm still under the grace of God. I've even heard it trying to be divisive. Jesus is my Savior, but not my Lord. I was saved, and I do believe once saved, always saved. You know that. I preach it. I tell people all the time, you can only be saved as many times as Christ died. Christ died once for sin. Paul says in Galatians, otherwise... You're putting Christ back up on the cross and crucifying him over and over and over again. I do believe, and we had two, two kids this week trust in Christ. Mike Tabor and I were there. And I saw in the one girl a seriousness. Not saying the other girl wasn't serious, but I saw in her eyes. Right, Mike? We saw it. prayed for both of those girls this week that they would grow up to be women after God's own heart. So here you have a, a situation where we need to make sure and maybe in our own lives, let me just float this out there for a minute, maybe in our own lives to get to a place where we have a rededication to God about maybe just picking up a stone from anywhere and just putting it in our pockets as a reminder of the day that we decided that from this day forward we were going to live for him in every way now that's hard to do granted you're going to have days when you bring in your D game instead of your A game but overall we should never be bringing on a daily basis our D game to a God who redeemed us. And Haggai wanted them to be mindful of that as he proceeded to move forward with this. Okay, 
Let's look at this next one. Consider from this day onward, the 24th day of the ninth month, we know that that is Kislev, which is December, and we know that scholars through the ages and changing in calendars came to be the de uh, December 18th, which in the second century becomes Hanukkah for the Jews. It wasn't Hanukkah back then, but now it is. Since that day, the foundation of the Lord of the temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Question mark. Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, and the pomegranate, pomegranate and the olive tree have yielded nothing. So, there's three interpretations here. And I'm not so sure, well, let's just go, let's just go through them. That was last year's crop. So the, those that argue for this one says, well, you've, you, you planted and there's no seed left in the barn. But there's a better interpretation based on the next words. The next words are, but from this day forward, I will bless you. So a better interpretation is this. What has just been sown in the fall, or you could say the winter time? Because remember, the rains start coming in October, November, a little more, December. And by now, December 18th, as he's writing this, they've already planted the winter crops. So there would not be seed in the barn. And God is making a very distinctive... Now remember, the nation of Israel, back in chapter 1... From Zerubbabel on down, repented. And when that happened, God said, Okay, now it is a new day. Now we're going to start. And I, but I still want you to remember what happened back here so that it'll be a benchmark in your life moving forward. And you can, you can go back, wait a minute. No, nah, I don't want to get there again. I don't want to get there where God's not blessing me. But now forward, I'm going to live for him and watch Watch what happens. But anyway, what has just been sown, God promises a great future crop. Bingo. Notice over here back when they were struggling and they weren't working on the temple, God said, okay, um, I'm going to give you 50% here. And when you get your wine, I'm only going to give you 40%. Oh, but now that the nation of Israel had repented. God said, watch. Watch what I can do. Watch what God can do. Billy Graham once said in a sermon, God is waiting, still waiting, for someone who is totally sold out for him. Now, Billy Graham, when he was young, he went out into a field and he laid face down before God and he said, I am yours. How many millions of people did Billy Graham reach in his life? Thousands and thousands of people. Back in 1981, I remember watching him as a baby Christian. Still remember those sermons. 
and think about, wait a minute, Billy, you were the one. You laid your life before God, and look what God did. Listen, it is always better to lay yourself before God and say, Lord, I may be a sinner, and I am a sinner saved by grace, but this day forward, I want to live for you to the best of my ability to follow you and to, and to live what you want me to live in this life. And watch what God can do. God is always able to do more than we can possibly imagine or think. God can do great things in your life. God can do great things in my life. But he's waiting for us to be committed and dedicated. And to some degree, we are successful. Mainly because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So I think it's this. There is none, and of course, the olive tree that they're not going to produce yet, but I think it's this one. God promises a great future harvest because of this. God disciplined, but he also will bring blessing. Watch this. God says from December 18th, from this day forward, I am now going to bless you. You see how that worked? They repented. And God said, now I'm going to bless you. And we'll find out next week some various other things. Their spring crops and their fall crops. Bam! I wonder if it's going to be 110 or 120% of what they thought they were. Uh, 120% and they're thinking maybe we'll get 70 Maybe, but God said, I am going to bless you. Barak, Barak. And that means divine favor. Now, obviously, that translates Horus, which is the Greek word for grace. You know what grace is? In a simple nutshell, grace is God's divine favor. We always stand in God's divine favor. It becomes problematic when we decide to do things our way rather than God's way. There are consequences. I still default back to something that happened to me when I was a young pastor. Young man got in his car. He is under the influence. He hit the exit ramp at 90 miles an hour. Down at the bottom of the exit ramp, there's a state trooper's mother just making her way. He hits her kills her instantly he goes through the windshield some 25 feet and I remember getting that call he survived and I went with Carol and John I went with them to Cleveland 
Carol wanted me to go in with him, with her. So I went in and he was a complete mess. And Carol said to me, Pastor, why did he do it? Guess when Jesus said the Holy Spirit will give you words at the moment that you need it. I said, why do we do what we do, Carol? He wound up going to jail. He became a believer, even in the midst of tragedy. We shouldn't want tragedy to be a springboard for our spiritual life. It's in the midst of tragedy that God can transform a life. But that should not be the springboard. It shouldn't take a moment like that to wake us up. But it did for the Israelites. God withheld, got their attention, they repented, and God says, now I'm going to bless you. This is a really good verse to end on. Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord.